Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. If you read my blog, you know that I wrote a lengthy article yesterday about racial reconciliation. I was prompted to do that because of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery back in February in Georgia, but it just gained national recognition, national headlines within the last few weeks. If you're a regular listener to all things, or if you read jenoshman.com regularly, you know that I have a burden and a passion for racial reconciliation. It's just an issue here in 2020 that I am passionate about and that I write and talk about quite a bit. Well, because of that, some of my listeners, some of my readers, have called me in the past a social justice warrior. And I'm not going to either confirm or deny that particular label. I think it's something that can mean all different kinds of things to all different kinds of people. But I do want to talk today for a minute about social justice and the gospel. Every time there's a crime, usually it's the shooting of an unarmed black man or black woman, and there is an outcry when this crime reaches national headlines, when it gets, when it goes viral, maybe on social media, and we all sort of become aware that this incident happened and there is rightly an outcry. People rightly demonstrate. People are rightly enraged or very upset, and and that is good and right. And then Christians tend to engage it and seek to understand it and want to bring the truth to light. Whenever that happens, it seems like this social justice warrior, social justice versus the gospel issue comes to light again and again. There's this cry from some in the church that goes like this, you shouldn't engage in social justice issues. It detracts from the gospel. And so people feel feel like, you know, these racial issues detract from what really matters. Don't get sidetracked into these progressive movements where Jesus is put on the periphery. The gospel takes a backseat to the political issues of our day. That's kind of how it goes. Don't don't worry about social justice issues, just worry about the gospel. Well, this backlash, that narrative has always troubled me, and it has troubled me anew with the recent murder of Ahmad Arbery. This idea of don't talk about social justice, just talk about the gospel, it really troubles me. So before I go any further... I just want to thank my friend and brother, Pastor Brandon Washington, for the sermon that he gave at his church, the Embassy Church in Denver, this past weekend. I watched it on YouTube yesterday, and he just gave me a ton of food for thought. He really put words to something that I feel like I've been wrestling with for several years. Whenever this social justice versus the gospel comes up, I haven't been able to really put words to or my finger on what really troubles me about what I think is a false dichotomy there, um, a false, you know, an inconsistency there. Brandon really gave me words for that. And so I want to share that. I'm going to link his sermon in my show notes because he says it better than me. And I would love for you to get to know him and even engage with many of his sermons and materials online. So I want you to know I'm borrowing some of his words and some of his language here because I can't agree more. And he said it so well. I think, and and again, agreeing with Brandon, I think maybe at the root of our problem here in the United States is that we have been preaching and embracing a truncated gospel. Now, I talk about this in my book, Enough About Me. I say that we we look at the gospel to be for salvation only. The American church tends to view the gospel as just about getting saved, just about getting into heaven, just about justification. It's our get out of jail free card. And so we leave it there. That's, That's all the gospel is. It doesn't bear on anything else in our life. It's just how we get into heaven. 
But the gospel does, in fact, instruct how we spend our time, our money, our education, our resources, our status, our socioeconomic level, our ethnicity, how we steward our families, everything that we have, the gospel speaks to everything. We have the Bible, the scriptures that teach us the gospel should instruct all that we do. The reality is you and I were created by God. We fell into sin. We were redeemed by Jesus. And one day, our relationship with him and his reconciliation of all things will be consummated in heaven. The Bible teaches us that really good news. It's not just salvation. It's not just heaven, but it's the good news that all things are going to be restored. And that good news influences everything in our lives. So in other words, because I have been saved by grace through faith, though I was dead in my transgressions, though I was an enemy of God, though I was in the domain of darkness, but God, because of the great love with which he loved me. He saved me. He delivered me into the kingdom of his beloved son through no effort of my own so that I may not boast, but he delivered me and he seated me in the heavenly realms at the right hand of Jesus. And he gave me good works to do in which he prepared for me in advance. So that all of that really good news, the gospel, it does impact the way I live my life. It makes it means that my entire life is changed. I turn from living for myself and living for God. I turn from loving myself and being self-seeking to loving God and loving others. Jesus says, come, follow me, pick up your cross, lay down your life to follow me. And so the gospel then instructs all that we do, all that we say, all that we are. The gospel says that I must share Jesus with my Hindu neighbors, or I should participate in some way in adoption or foster care. I should be sharing the gospel with my friends and family who don't know him, visiting those who are sick, volunteering at a pregnancy center, taking food to my local food bank, preaching the gospel overseas, feeding the homeless here in Denver. The gospel changes everything we are about. It's not just the way into heaven. It's it's not just good news for our justification. It's good news for our sanctification, for our growth, for the way that we live and conform more and more into the image of the beloved son. So then, as my friend, Pastor Brandon says, the inevitable fruit then of the gospel is a pouring of ourselves out here on earth because our citizenship is in heaven. We give all we've got here on earth because we belong to heaven and racial issues are really no different. The social justice issues of our day are the inevitable fruit of the gospel. We are redeemed and saved by Jesus, and therefore we turn our lives over to him, and we're all about his business here on earth. We care about our neighbors because they are made in the image of God. You and I are image bearers, every man and woman of every color, every nation, every ethnicity, tribe, tongue, and language is made in the image of God. And God says, if you love me, then love my image bearers. So when our black and brown friends black and brown image bearers say they are hurting, say they are mistreated, say they are victims of injustice, then because of the gospel, because my life has been redeemed and changed from the inside out, I've got to listen. I must listen to their burdens. I must listen to their grief. I must enter in and understand their stories. It's not okay for you and I, who are rescued and redeemed image bearers, to ignore the grief and the cries of injustice and the pain of image bearers who have darker skin. The gospel actually demands that we care. The gospel requires that you and I, who have been loved much, that we would love much. That's something my husband said in his sermon this past weekend. I'll link that in the show notes too as well. But the bottom line is we have been loved much. Therefore, we must 
love much. The gospel has changed everything about us. The way we spend our time, our money, our education, our status, the way we steward our resources, including the color of our skin, the way we love God, the way we love our neighbors. The gospel changes that from the inside out. It's not some peripheral, progressive, threatening, scary movement, social justice, at least with the meaning that I pour into it. It's the reality that gospel, the gospel changes everything. Therefore, I must listen and learn and be an ally and a friend and a co-laborer with my brothers and sisters in Christ who have black and brown skin. So the first point I want to make today, um, thanks again to Pastor Brandon Washington, is that social justice is the inevitable fruit of the gospel. In other words, just loving our neighbors is the inevitable fruit of the gospel. Being active, being involved in some kind of activism in the name of Jesus for his glory and the good of neighbors here and now on earth, laboring on behalf of others on earth, bringing about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. This is our imperative from the gospel. Social justice is not separate from the gospel. It's not antithetical to the gospel. It's the inevitable fruit of the gospel. Call it something else if you want to. If it feels like too much of a loaded term, I don't blame you for that. Call it something else if you want to. But we are called to love God and to love neighbor. And so that was really the point of my article a couple days ago. It was a call especially to Christians to pause and to listen and to lament with our black brothers and sisters who are deeply grieved by the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Arbery's murder prompted me to write the article, but here's what I was thinking about even before Ahmad Arbery's murder came to light. This is something I had been ruminating over actually for the last couple months. This is what it is. The conversations that I have in women's ministry with women who have survived sexual trauma are not unlike the conversations that I have with my friends of color in light of racial trauma. Here's what I mean by that. When they share their stories with me, or when I'm in the presence, when I'm either maybe reading their words or listening to a podcast, or I'm in a small group where those stories are being shared, women who have survived sexual trauma, men too, incidentally, but also men and women of color who've survived racial trauma, the cry of their heart and what I hear over and over from both populations is, why don't people believe me? In other words, they share their stories and they are often written off. They're often disbelieved. The The culture at large does not really believe their stories. And so I started to make a connection in my own heart as I was just thinking this over. Here in the United States, racial trauma, racial division is maybe worse than ever. Well, probably not worse than ever, but it's bad right now. We can say in 2020, we are a very racially divided nation. And could it be because our brothers and sisters with black and brown skin are not believed in the same way that my girlfriends who have endured sexual trauma cannot heal unless people believe their stories? Could the same be said for my brothers and sisters with black and brown skin when they are not believed, when the racial trauma stories of their lives are not believed? When survivors of trauma are not believed, they cannot heal. They cannot move forward. Our immediate thought is to disbelieve both survivors of sexual trauma and racial trauma. I know that this doesn't account for all racism. I know there are always going to be extremists. There's going to be nationalists on all sides. But here in what I say in my article, in this sort of middle majority, where most of us are, where most of the white population, where we're sort of middle of the road, nobody's extreme, where we feel like, hey, we are not racist in here, in this this average group. We're not racist. We teach our children to love everyone. We would never hurt a fly. I know what our conversations sound like when a potentially 
racially motivated crime or incident happens. I know what those conversations sound like because they happen in my midst all the time. We always say something like, well, we need to wait to really see what really happened. Or didn't he actually deserve it? Or didn't she actually deserve it? Or don't they actually have a criminal record? Or here's why that you know supposedly unjust situation happened. And we explain it away. We have this immediate reflex of deflecting rather than reflecting and really understanding. This majority middle where I live, and if you're a white listener in sort of middle of the road where you live, I don't believe we're willfully racist, but I don't know that we are willing to pause and take a look inward. I don't know if we're really willing to examine the stories of our brothers and sisters with objectivity and seek to understand why in 2020 do people with black and brown skin say they are mistreated? What's really going on? What's at the heart of these stories? Why is it still happening? Why does our culture allow it? And maybe why does our culture cause it? I know for many, this is a very uncomfortable situation to be in. So for example, for a girl who has endured sexual trauma, her parents have to look at that situation and go, okay, how did I contribute to it? If it's true that that happened to you, where was I willfully ignorant or where was I naive or where did I somehow contribute to your harm? And we who are in the majority culture have to say the same thing to our brothers and sisters who are in the minority. Where have we been ignorant? Where have we been naive? Where have we been unknowingly culpable or knowingly culpable as it may be? It's simply easier to disbelieve, to write off these stories of trauma than it is to believe and to wrestle and to really understand the heart and the context and the history of where these situations are coming from. But I can hear the pushback even now in my head in these conversations that I have I know that people are likely to say, hey, Jen, we can't believe everything at face value. Just because somebody says they were the victim of something doesn't mean they were the victim of something. I mean, half the time they're imagining it or they're making an excuse. I know that that pushback is out there, but I'm not saying let's be less objective. I'm saying let's be more objective. I'm saying let's be genuinely objective. Let's actually pursue real truth and real justice rather than deflecting, rather than having this immediate reflex of disbelief belief of like, well, I really need to see more. Well, I really need to, you know, make sure that this person was not a criminal in the past or, well, it looks to me like he deserved it. Or, well, he was wearing a hood and it was dark or whatever. All the things that we come up with to deflect make us incredibly biased, make us incredibly subjective. I'm not saying be less objective. I'm saying let's be more objective. And I really believe Christians must lead the way precisely because of what I said at the beginning of this episode, social justice is an inevitable fruit of the gospel. In other words, we are rescued by the gospel and we love our savior. So we should be leading in a way, listening in a way, loving people that our savior loves, that our savior created the people that he loves so much himself. We ought to be leading the way and loving them ourselves. Our God is a reconciler. That is his very nature. Colossians chapter one says that Jesus reconciled all things to himself, making peace by the blood of the cross. Second Corinthians chapter five says that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And that's just not reconciliation from man to God. It's also reconciliation of man to man. There's no way to love the gospel and love our God and love our savior without loving the outworking of it in our community, in our culture, without loving our creator. When we love our creator, we're going to love his image bearers as well. And of course, Micah 6 says, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. My call here is for you and me to just walk in humility, to be kind, to pursue justice. When our brothers and sisters cry out, 
Why do we deflect? Why do we ignore? For us who are Christians, this should not be. We have a Savior who was kind and compassionate, who drew near to the oppressed, to the meek, to the brokenhearted. We should be as well. We should absolutely be mourning with those who mourn. We should be leading the, leading in this in our world. The world should know us by our love, the love that we have for those who are hurting, the love that we show by listening and by advocating when something wrong has actually taken place. You and I have got to grieve with those who grieve. How quick were you and I to lament Arbery's death? I think that the reaction in our middle majority community was far quicker to disbelieve or to explain it away somehow, to look for some sort of loophole and say, yeah, but, yeah, but I think this is what really happened rather than to just grieve with his mother, to be brokenhearted that this man was laid out on the asphalt in Georgia and his short life was cut way too short when he was murdered at the hands of these two men in Georgia. We were looking for a way to defend the white murderers was our initial reaction rather than from grieving and crying out with his family that his life was ended far too early. Here's my bottom line. Here's the point. Trauma will not heal if victims are not believed. And this is true when there's sexual trauma and when there's racial trauma. And I think that our bias and the uncomfortable feeling that comes with looking at our history and looking at the reality of race in 2020 keeps us from really diving in. It makes us more subjective than it makes us objective. It makes us want to deflect rather than to reflect. It is absolutely uncomfortable, but trauma is not going to heal if you and I don't become more objective and believe and do some research and seek out real truth and real justice. But do we want healing in our nation? I think that's an important question. Or are we satisfied with the status quo? This is a scary question for the white middle majority. We enjoy a ton of privilege. Are we afraid of losing that? Do we want peace and harmony? And if we say we do, but we aren't willing to listen and to wrestle with the stories we hear, then we have to ask ourselves why. Why don't we want to listen? Why can't we let people with black and brown skin tell their stories? Why does that feel problematic to us? Again, friends, our God is a reconciler. He reconciled us all to him here and now on this earth so that we can have a heart for reconciliation too. We are reconciled now in Jesus. So let's pursue a ministry of reconciliation now. If we're going to take after him, these have to matter. These issues have to matter to us. If we're going to love him, if we're going to love his image bearers, if we're going to love our neighbors, then we must start bearing up in humility and love our brothers and sisters and bear their wounds. Let's do that. Let's lead the way in walking in humility, grieving with those who grieve, mourning with those who mourn, and just listening patiently and with great objectivity, trying to understand really what is at the root of what our brothers and sisters are experiencing. The way to do that, I think, is by taking on a posture of humility and a posture of silence too, and just taking in, understanding, reading and looking at history and the present day from the context and the perspective of our brothers and sisters of color. I'll link back to my article in the show notes, but there's books and movies and podcasts that I recommend where we can really take a posture of humility and seek to understand why is it that so many of our um, friends of color are hurting and grieving because of Ahmaud Arbery's death? And why is it that so many of us who are not people people of color, the white middle majority are quick to write it off rather than to wrestle with it and sit in it and link arms with our brothers and sisters of color and really seek some social change. Again, I do believe social justice is the inevitable fruit of the gospel. And my encouragement to you and to me is to pursue God's heart for reconciliation here and now. 
Thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.